Welcome to another exciting, action-packed episode of Linux in a Ham Shack. Thank you all for coming by. For those of you that have, uh, what do they call it, Triscodecophobia? Triscodecophobia. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Uh, you should probably hit the stop button now because this is episode 13, and if you're afraid of the number 13, this is not the one. All righty, my name is Richard, KB5JBV. Uh, we'd like to welcome everybody in the chat room. And over there, diligently banging away at the computer is Russ. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Good evening, everybody. This is Russ, K5TUX, the comic relief for the evening. And we'll send it back to the straight man, Richard. He thinks I pick on him. Actually, I think I pick on myself more. Anyway, uh, like I said, we have an action-packed so- show. We're going to talk about a uh, little bit about rig control after a while. And y'all should probably be thankful because we uh, we were heading for satellite tracking this week until Richard had one of his famous getting sidetracked bouts and ended up trying to get his Yaesu FT897 working uh, via the rig control. So we've pretty much saved that. Okay. Other things that we've got going, uh, well, why not? Let's do email. Let's do email first. I like lots of email. We have lots of email here. Uh, we can probably soundproof both recording rooms areas with the amount of email we got this week. How about we do some email Russ? Email sounds fantastic as we have a lot of it to go through. And I don't want to bore everybody by the time we get to the end of this, but we try to get everybody in there. And our first one is from KE7BAF. He sent, he wrote in to the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. He had, he says, if you would like to try out Linux and avoid the live CD route, give Wubi a try. It's a Linux Windows installer that places the Linux file system into a single file and then gives you the option to boot into Linux. Wubi is an official, officially supported Ubuntu installer for Windows. Users that can bring you to the Linux world with a single click. Wubi allows you to install and uninstall Ubuntu as any other Windows application. Well, I could do a half hour on that in a simple, safe way. Are you curious about Linux and Ubuntu? Trying them out has never been easier. It sounds almost like a commercial, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and he gives a URL, which is wubby-installer.org. Uh, Wubby. I haven't actually used Wubby, but I've heard a lot of thing, good things about it. Uh, what do you think about Wubby, Russ? I went and checked it out today because it's the first, I, well, it's not the first I'd heard of it, but it's the first three or four times that I've heard of it. And went out and actually looked at it today, and it actually looks like a pretty cool thing. It reminds me of something else from another podcast that I was listening to earlier that I will talk about towards the end of our feedback session here. But as a way to easily install Linux without having to go into full virtualization, it's a great little package. Definitely think it's worth people giving it a try. Next up, uh, I want you all to know that Richard, Richard can do stuff, despite what people in Arizona think. Uh, Richard can figure out things on his own, and I figured out how to send myself or uh, uh, email myself some of the tweets that are coming in from y'all. And I actually captured a couple of them from Tim IS. Tim is uh, over on Twitter. The first one was, the podcast is great. You guys keep up the great work. I responded to him something about maybe not great, but uh, at least acceptable. And he responded, ha ha, now you're just being modest. How about you've got the best ham radio Linux podcast out there? To which I responded, we are the only ham radio Linux podcast out there. So, yes, we are number one. What do you think about that, Russ? We are number one. Yep, definitely. Even if we are the only one, we're still number one. That's all that matters. Since you just did Twitter, I got to do our little iTunes review. Oh, iTunes review. Do the iTunes review. Well, anyway, I just happened to look at our iTunes page the other day, and sure enough, there's a review. I didn't hear about it, but here's what it says. It's by Tom the Trucker. He gave us five stars, and his review reads, I don't understand how they do it, but they actually make talking about an operating system on a podcast actually entertaining. I'm a truck driver and have enjoyed miles go by with this podcast coming through the speakers. 
If you want to learn about Linux, ham or not, give this one a shot. Well, that's a great review. Glad to have found that on the iTunes. What I'm hoping is that everybody who uses iTunes to download the feed and listen to our podcast can maybe go and write a short three-sentence review like Tom the Trucker did, because I would love to get our rating up and see uh, how high we can go over at Linux in the Ham Shack on iTunes. I know uh, we show up pretty high if you look at Linux-based podcasts, but more reviews can only help. I bet if they go over to iTunes and they look for Linux ham radio podcasts that they will find that we are number one number one and only one but still number one y'all remember that when you tell us we're number one please do not use the wrong finger (laughs) the next one appears to have come in at the uh, forums over black sparrow media this is from n8xja and uh tony uh says I just wanted to stop and let you know how much I enjoyed episode 12 of LHS. I found the podcast after searching the iTunes store for Linux podcasts. I have been using Linux for my job since the days when you had to roll your own and kernel compiles took hours. I bet they still take hours. I used Linux in the shack back in the early 90s when I got involved in high-speed packet around the Dayton, Ohio area. After getting married and having kids, my ham radio hobby took the back burner. Now that the kids are older, it's time to get back in, keep up the great work in 7-3. And that's from Tony N8JXA. What do you think about that one, Russ? Apparently, he just picked us up recently because he only listened to episode 12, which, of course, is the one before this one. So hopefully he'll go back and listen to some of the others, as I think most people who pick us up late do. I've heard that uh, everybody seems to go back to number one. We're still uh, early enough in our releases that when people see there's only 12, I guess they feel like they can go back. When I see some of the other podcasts that I jump in at you know episode 290, yeah, I don't run back to number one and start over. But that's great. (laughs) If you can find him, I guess, right? But, Uh, yeah, that was uh, Tony N8XJA. Thanks very much, and I hope uh, we give you some more useful information and more wonderful hours of listening to uh, Richard the Straight Man and me, the Comic Relief. I am the Comic Relief. You're the the Comic Relief, and I'm the brains of the outfit. Is that how it's going to go? That's what I'm saying. All That's right. what I'm saying. Actually, I got another one here from him that says, Sorry about that, OM. Uh, Lennox and Hamshack reading forms that one was slowing down. And that's because he asked me a question about resonant frequency, or he asked me a question about if we were still in uh, production <laughs> because he heard one of the shows was slowing down, and that was resonant frequency because we had slow down over there. But it's back up, and believe it or not, we're looking at having a, a new feller come on and uh, do one of the shorter segments for us. Uh, we just have to negotiate the contract. Okay, what else we got here? I got one that's real old that I want to get out of the way. This one actually just came in on, or it came in on March 28th, which was before the last episode. But I don't think I mentioned it. We got a link and a mention that I got from a Google web alert from the Rochester, New York Amateur Radio Association. They put us as a valuable ham radio resource on their web page. And so I'm going to link back to them, and they've already got a link to us. So I want to thank them for. Uh, letting people know about the podcast, and we want to let people know about the Rochester Amateur Radio Association. I'm sure it's a fine organization, even though I don't really know anything about that. So I just wanted to get that in there. Around here, we'd call those Texas hot links. Unfortunately, Russ is not in Texas, but that's okay. Uh, yes, I had seen that and meant to mention it, and I thought I did, but I guess I didn't. That's okay, though, because Russ is the brains of this outfit. Um, I'll let you uh, tackle the uh, the Dane. Dane? Yeah, the Dane. The special mention Dane. Well, I'm lost now. Oh, you're lost, huh? Well, he uh, he develops programs. Oh, that one. Yeah, that one. This is more fun than shooting guns in a house, let me tell you people. <laughs> and only person from Texas would say that. Let's talk about Alex. 
Alex, OZ9AEC. We got a nice little email from him. says, hi, Russ. I've been working on several open source radio applications since around 2000. My favorite project is GPredict, which is a satellite tracking application for Linux. Also works on Mac and Windows. I started it back in 2001, and it is just about reaching the state where it can be considered a complete ham radio app. The homepage for GPredict is http colon stroke stroke gpredict one word dot oz oz nine aec dot net. My other project is GRIG, which is a very simple GUI to control radios, and we're going to talk about GRIG rig a little bit here in a few minutes. Uh, the URL for that is http http colon stroke stroke ground station dot source forge dot net stroke grig it uses the ham radio control library uh let me go ahead and let y'all know that uh Alex, OZ9AEC, uh, he's a guy that has a lot of programs in, or not a lot, but some of the programs in the uh, ham radio uh, section when you go and fire up Synaptic, uh, G-Predict, G-Rig, a couple of other things. He's been out there for a while and probably should have brought up Alex before. Some of this stuff's pretty good. In fact, G-Predict, which is the one I was looking at to bring to y'all this week when we're going to talk about satellite tracking, is uh, probably just as good as one my dad showed me the other day that he's using over at his house. And whereas I'm not really a satellite guy, well, other than having my own gravitational pull, it uh, really looks like a, a really good program for me. So, Russ, do you have any comments on uh, on Alex? I don't know. Did you talk about our upcoming thing with alex or did you uh, leave that part out well i don't know is alex the guy that you were talking about that was working on the uh uh apparently i have no idea okay i don't know if i didn't know if you got the thing that he sent i didn't know if he sent it to both of us or not because i've been talking to him about future interview segments did you get that no okay well our first interview likely when we get around to it will be alex so he's going to come on. I've already booked him, so to speak. We will talk to him live at some point, probably for episode 14 or 15, about G-Predict and G-Rig and everything Linux and ham that is in Alex's realm of experience. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> does he speak anything? Does he speak something other than Texan? Because we know we have people that have an adverse reaction to that. Well, I'm willing to bet he speaks Danish, but I'm hoping that for our purposes he speaks English. Mmm, Danish. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Moving on, because we are, holy cow, Uh, moving on. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe two segments of feedback tonight. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. We also got some... uh, uh, a comment over at the Linux and Ham Shack website from Peter. I think that's it. Uh, OK2CQR, uh, and Peter has to say, I'm very proud to hear about CQR log. Thanks, guys. Club report is CQR log is very useful. We, when you make in QSO, you can see if workstation is member of any clubs which you set in preferences. You can ALE filter QSO only with stations which are members of specified club. Good luck and thank you, 7-3, Peter, OK2CQR. Thank you, Peter, for giving us a listen. I'm glad that you're you're, uh, listening, or at least somebody's telling you that we're talking about CQR log over here. We did talk about CQR log a couple episodes back, y'all, and uh, that's one of the ones that in a week or two we're going to uh, discuss again as our ongoing rig control project. And like I said, we'll talk about that more later. What do you think about Peter? Well, I think, uh, I think last last episode when we talked about his uh, CQR log, uh, we gave him a pretty favorable review, and I 
or you did anyway, because you were the one who experimented with the software. And uh, I took a look at it under Crunchbang, and it uh, looked pretty nice. And it had uh, it was an actual X application, graphical, and that was something you liked, and I thought it was pretty cool too. Maybe a little heavier weight, something for the shack instead of out in the field, but good software. And I'm glad that he either listened in or was told about this, you know, told about the episode and took the time to write us about it. And we, like I said, we will be keeping up with CQR log. It's just got so many possibilities. I fired it back up and looked at it again, and I have got to learn this program better. But we will get back to that. All right. Next up, we got a, a really short comment that came in this afternoon of all, to, all things. Uh, this is pretty neat. Do I have to sign up for anything? Well, that's for Myron. And Myron, uh, is one of the guys that responded when I, when I pinged earlier, letting everybody know what was going on this evening as far as the live show. And, and uh, we gave him the information. For those of you that are listening, we do record a live show uh, every other Tuesday night at 8 o'clock in the evening, and you are welcome to join and participate. We have a chat room. We have folks in there chatting and having a good time, uh, even though they've slowed down quite a bit. But holy mackerel, we got a lot of people in there now. <laughs> uh, looks like we lost Randy. I don't see him anymore. But that's okay. we got a lot of folks in there. So, uh, y'all come on down and, uh, and, uh, give us a listen. All right. Next one we've got, we got two from Bob. Uh, Bob was with us, uh, last time around, WD4BOB. And let me jump through these real quick. Uh, the first one is, uh, thank you again for allowing me to join you and Russ last night on the podcast. I really enjoyed myself and look forward to listening to the final release of the podcast. That's Bob WD4BOB. And the next one is just updated my site with a little info of the upcoming episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. Hope that some of my regular visitors will find your site and download the podcast once you have the opportunity to finalize and post it. And once again, that's from Bob WD4BOB. Well, I don't know about you, Russ, but Bob, uh, I like Bob. He's a, he's a really nice fella, and I was uh, really happy to have him on last time. Yeah, I think he made the whole episode for us, so he'll, he'll be glad to hear that. He'll he'll be all, uh, we'll inflate his ego nice and big, give him a little helium boost there. But it was good to have him on, and it was nice to have another perspective on things, especially since neither you or I are actually using netbooks and uh, his insight into running Crunchbang on uh, the EPC was... Uh, uh, excellent addition to the program. Y'all keep on listening, showing up for these live shows. We've had, uh, we've had Jerry from, uh, Practical Amateur Radio Podcast on here. We've had the guys from, uh, prettygoodprojects.com on here in the chat room, even though we couldn't get them on the microphone. We've had Bob in here and who knows? The next one might be you. Well, I've been talking for a while, Russ. Why don't you, uh, go ahead and let rip with that KC7DZ email, uh, Get everybody going on that one. Uh, you want me to hit the long one, of course. All right. Well, this one came in um, on the 16th, and this is from Barry, KC7DEZ. And he says, thanks thanks for your guys' webcast on Linux slash ham stuff. I'm working my way through the LHS podcasts. I have to admit that when I loaded the AX25 how-to and saw it hadn't been changed since 2001, I was a little scared that Linux ham stuff was dead. I stumbled upon your page from a link. Uh, at the WA0EIR homepage, and uh, I believe he's in the chat room tonight, so there you go. Yeah, it's Ted. Yep, so Ted, you got to mention in this email, and was amazed to see a podcast on Linux and ham radio that was only two days old. My question for you, and maybe you have addressed it since I've only listened to the first LHS, is how do you get started with VHF packet radio? I have a KISS TNC, Tiny Track 4, and I have a Linux box, Ubuntu, and I have an ICOM 2100H with a good antenna. I know there is a repeater here on 145.050. Everything I read talks about setting up AX25 and assigning an IP address to my box, etc., etc. I was wondering if this is the standard way of doing packet. I remember my uncle used to check his radio email using a TNC and a Commodore 64, to connect to a BBS, and I don't believe his TNC needed an IP address. Do I need to set up all the AX25 and get an IP address from my coordinator? If so, and I do all the setup, what next? Uh, I know the call sign of the repeater near me, 
but how do I connect to it? If I don't need the IP stack to just do simple packet, is there a Linux program that can use my KISS TNC to communicate with BB systems? I am very familiar with Linux, work as a Linux systems admin, but very new to the packet world. Thanks for the webcast. This is a pretty fascinating world. And that, again, is Barry, KC7DEZ. Back in my day when I was doing packet radio with a TNC, it had nothing to do with IP connectivity. I just had a serial port connected into the back of a MFJ, and that's how I got onto packet radio on two meters. Unless this is some kind of remote packet TNC, and I didn't look this thing up. Did you look it up, Richard? Actually, I do know what he's talking about, Russ. Uh, as far as the IP addresses and stuff, apparently he ran across uh, some old uh, amper.org information. And back then, uh, that was almost pre-World Wide Web when amper.org was really going, and they mostly sent email back and forth and high-speed packet over there and that kind of stuff. Um as far as the tiny track and stuff, I really haven't experimented with that kind of stuff under Linux, but we are going to buckle down and uh, try and do a packet episode because everybody's wanting it. I need to dig into it myself, and the majority of the information out there on the web is, you're right, at the very least, 10 years old. So um, we're really going to... Uh, jump into it that direction and at the very least we'll get them up and running the way we used to do them terminal to terminal just like russ was talking about uh russ and i'll be working terminal to terminal on two meters from down here around dallas all the way up to uh up there around the new madrid fault <laughs> <laughs> um okay I, I don't think we have a repeater network that goes that far who says we're going to use a repeater we're going to string a coax well, we're going to find a, a what a, an inversion somewhere, and we're going to talk uh, simplex on two meters for over six hundred miles or whatever it is from here to there. Pack it, pack it, my oh, brother, pack oh, it. It's still on two meters. <laughs> uh, Barry, if you if you're listening to this episode out there, or if you're in the chat room, we haven't seen you yet. But if you are, oh, CU three AFF. I got to mention that one. Barry, KC7DEZ, if you're out there in the chat room or you're listening to this episode, I want you to know that Ted owes you a cup of coffee because you mentioned him in an email that got read on the podcast. I've got another one here from WA3FKG, and that's Ken. He didn't actually reference us directly as a post or anything, but it came up in a Google alert, and I went to check out his post on his blog, and I couldn't figure out where he mentioned this, but it is buried in there. And it says, uh, I just looked at how long it has been since I posted an entry to this blog, and I have to say I was surprised. I've been away from all of my various blogs for a number of months now, but I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. Heaven knows I am never at a shortage of words. Thank goodness for RSS feeds. I will be having some comments soon on digital modes, especially on the HF bands and Linux in the Hamshack, among other things that have piqued my interest of late. Just a quick mention there from Ken, WA3FKG, and uh, I don't know about you, Richard, but I am definitely waiting to hear what he has to say about us. Well, there you go. And, um, yeah, Google Alert been coming up real handy. We've been finding a lot of folks talking about us out there, and we sure do appreciate all the word of mouth that we're getting. All right. Well, I don't have uh, any more email on this side, Russ. Do you have any email over there? Well, it seems like we've been going quite a while on the feedback, so I think what we're going to do is break this up into a couple of segments and throw the second part in at the end so we can get through some rig control, talk about some things that deal with uh, getting your rig on the air, and Richard's going to handle most of that. And then when we come back, after the second break, we're going to pick up some of this feedback that we left straggling from quite a while ago and some of the newer stuff just to give ourselves a little bit of a break and try and make it not too boring.
in our continuing progression towards the uh, an email that we received here a while back, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about rig control. Probably not a whole lot. Y'all may have to go check some stuff out. But this week I actually spent some time getting the 897 over here uh, running under, uh, and since I got corrected last time, Libham. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, we were talking about, well, let me, let me talk about the email first. Uh, a few weeks back we got an email guy was wanting to know about how he could, uh, use X11 forwarding to run his rig at his house while he was on the road and operate digital modes. So I've noticed that apparently that has stuck in the back of what little brain I've got. In fact, you can, y'all come over, you can go over here to the, uh, to the shelf and pick the brain up and take a look at it. And it's sitting right there on the back of it that apparently we are progressing towards being able to do that. And this is one of those things that will move us along that direction. The first thing I want to let y'all know is when we did CQR log, one of the libraries we had to install to get CQR log to go was libham lib2, which is what it is on a Ubuntu. Since we've already got that installed, then why don't we make use of it? We don't necessarily have it installed if we're not running CQR log, but if you're going to do rig control, you have to have it in there. The way I start out with this is we already have FL Digi installed. If you, have, for those of y'all that have been playing along at home, uh, you should have FL Digi installed. The thing about FL Digi is not only will it do rig control, it also in the newest version has a logbook that you can access fairly easily. But we're going to back up a little bit and start from the basics. Now, one of the guys we read in the emails a while ago puts out a program called G-Rig. You might want to start out with G-Rig. That will give you the opportunity to get it set up and get it working right. So let me go through some of the steps that I followed to get this all up and running. First of all, I started out by plugging my cat control cable from the radio into the serial port. I began with the serial port to uh, get it up and going, make sure it was running. Going over to G-Rig, when I initially started G-Rig up, it didn't work. Now, G-Rig, when you fire G-Rig up, it does come up with a nice, pretty little, looks like the front of a radio and that kind of stuff. But G-Rig has to be started from the command line. Now, I know some of you guys are probably a little nervous about the command line and that kind of stuff, but this will give you an opportunity to give it a shot. Now, if you open up a terminal window, or, uh, yeah, a terminal window, which is kind of like the DOS prompt on Windows for those of y'all that are coming over from Windows, uh, you'll end up with a black screen. And there'll be a prompt there. If you'll, if you have G-Rig installed, which you may have to install it, and we'll talk about that in a minute, which is not hard and it's not very big. It's not going to take up a lot of room. So, uh, when you if, have it installed, if you type a G-Rig, G-R-I-G space dash H and hit return, It'll come on up with the information that you'll need to figure out how to run it. Now, the command line for it is going to be grig -m, which I which dash -m is going to be the model ID of your radio. Now, if you type grig, well, let me get to that in just a minute. The next one's going to be dash -r, which is Dash R is the rig da rig file or device. It's going to be the device that you're using. In the case of serial port one, you're going to be using stroke dev stroke ttys zero. Don't put an O in there; it won't work. And don't put a lowercase s in there because it's not going to work either. But I suggest y'all check this out and uh, not just go on what I'm saying. And next is going to be dash eight. Dash eight is the communication baud rate down the cat cable. Depending on, uh, what serial port you're using, what type of, uh, USB connect, uh, adapter you're using, that kind of stuff, it's going to make a difference. I can run at a full 38400 down the serial port, uh, to my rig down the cat cable from the serial port. 
but when I move over to USB, I have to run it at 9600 or 4800, and that's simply because my USB connectors are questionable. Last of all is a Dash D. Dash D is going to be the debug level. And for those of you who spend a lot of time using that operating system we don't talk about much, uh, debug level, you've probably run into before, it's basically just going to show you error messages at different levels depending on how you set that up. The default is uh, 3, which will show you only warnings, which is when something goes bad. Uh, 2, it'll show errors along with that. Uh, and 5 will give you the complete trace for is uh, verbose information, which is just most almost everything that uh, you get. Anything to add to comments on getting G-Rig running on the command line? Well, I thought I would actually give out a little information, at least as far as GNOME is concerned, about creating a launcher for G-Rig so that you don't always have to start it from the command line. And in GNOME, it's really easy. All you have to do is go to your desktop, Right-click on it. You'll get a context menu that will pop up. You select Create Launcher. The first thing you'll see there is that it wants a type, and it's going to be Application, which is the default. You can then give it a name, and in this case, I'm just going to give it the name G-Rig. And then in the Command field, you can browse for it, or you can just type it in. Now, in the case of G-Rig on my system, it's under slash user slash bin. So in there, you would type slash USR slash bin slash G-Rig. And then you would put all of the options that you want to start G-Rig with, just as if you had typed it from the command line. You want your dash M with your model. You want your dash R. and You want your TTY number and your debug level. You can include all of that in there. And then you can post a comment, and that's just so you have extra information on what the launcher does. You click on OK, and it creates a launcher on your desktop with the name you gave it, in my case, G-Rig. And then if you want, you can left-click and drag that to your top uh, menu bar under GNOME, and it will stick the launcher up there as well. And that's an easy way so that you don't have to see all the G-Rig output and you don't have to open a command line to start it up. And when you do that, you just click on it as an icon and it'll bring up G-Rig. And if you want to get fancy, you can click on the default icon in the launcher creator, in the application launcher creator, and you can select your own icon. Under slash user slash share, there are several directories of icons. It will start up showing you some defaults. If you have your own icon, you can even uh, use an icon editor to make one if you want. G-Rig doesn't have uh, its own built-in icon. But you can set it to something else, or you can make one or whatever just to customize it if you like, but you don't have to. And KDE would have a similar context menu for creating launchers, and you can also do it from the uh, drop-down menu on the top. Not much about G-Rig there, but a little information about Linux. Well, there you go. And I mean, yeah, you can build your application launchers, but with any luck, we're not going to use G-Rig very long. So, uh, yes, if you do decide you like G-Rig, um, I would definitely roll this back a minute and uh, go through the steps that Russ has outlined for you. Now, uh, we were talking a while ago about rig IDs. The uh, ID number actually is where in the library that it's going to look for the information to run your rig. And in that case, well, once you type G-Rig dash dash list, it will show you a list of the available rigs under G-Rig, which this is a good place to find this information. Because when you get over to FLDigi, uh, you may be a little more difficult to locate this information. Now, I have an FT897, and um, in this case, where we added the rig ID, I would put... 123, 123, which is the ID number for that particular rig. I do also have a uh, Kenwood TS440. And if I, should I decide to run that rig uh, via CAT cable, which I never did when I was running it, but should I decide to do that, its ID number is going to be 202. So you can get a complete list of the available rigs through the ham li- library to run your rigs down the cat cable. Now, 
the main reason we had y'all fire up G-Rig is so you can test. Now, the first time I fired up G-Rig, I couldn't get anything. Well, one of the things I failed to remember is that when you're initiating uh, rig control with a FT-897, you have to have it in VFO mode. You cannot have it in memory mode. It has to be on, and it has to be over on the VFO. Then the uh, program is able to find it, initialize it, and from that point on, then you can go back to memory mode if you need to in the cases of some software that will do that for you and that kind of stuff. So we've got it up. We've checked it on a serial port. We've got we've got G-Rig going, and life is good. So now we move over to FL Digi. Like I said, for those of y'all that have been playing alone or playing at home, you probably already have FLDG installed. And one of the things, we're going to talk more about what you can do with it than specifically how to do the stuff with it. FLDG has a has a ham lab control panel. In fact, in FLDG, you can control your rig a couple of different ways. Rig cap, uh, rig cat, mem map, or ham lib. Ham lib is one that's was easiest for me to set up. I'm not sure about the others. And if you go into the configuration menu on FL Digi, you'll find a tab that says rig. If you click on that, then it'll take you to where you see those over on the right side of the, the uh, uh, window. Go ahead and click on the uh, ham lib tab, ham lib tab, and you'll find several, several fields that need to be filled out. The first one's a checkbox. Use ham lib. Okay. Use Hamlet Push to Talk. Now, if you're, I haven't actually explored this yet. I would assume that it would allow you to key the transmitter down your cat cable. I normally just key the transmitter down the uh, cable on my interface. So I was remiss on giving this, working this out, and I will get back to y'all on it. The next field is going to be the rig. Now, in the case of FL Digi, you get a nice, pretty list of different rigs that you can choose from. Uh, apparently that was CQR log I was thinking of that you had to worry about keeping up with the rig ID. Right below that, you're going to have port. Now, this is going to be the same as before. It's going to be the device that you use for the CAT cable. In the case of the first serial port, it's going to be stroke dev, lowercase, stroke, lowercase, TTY, uppercase, S, Zero. That's going to have you operate in serial port one. Operating through serial port one, you're going to need to know, figure out what baud rates you can run. Now, in the case of this FT897 that I have over here, I can adjust the uh, data rate down the CAT cable at the radio. I can change it from 38400 to 9600 to 4800. It gives me those three options. Through the serial port, I can run it at 38400 without any problems at all. It is stable. It works wonderfully. And it gives me complete control over my rig as far as mode, digital format type, and uh, frequency control. Now that we've got that all straightened out, go ahead and hit the initialize button and save config and close that window and you're good to go. Up at the top, you'll find... Up in the uh, menu bar, tag, it says rig. When you go ahead and click rig, you'll bring up the rig controller for FL Digi. And what you'll end up with is a small screen with a drop-down menu listing upper sideband, lower sideband, ready, FM, wide FM, C, CWR, uh, AMS, packet, several, several different uh, modes that your radio will operate, including... AM and CW, or none at all. Right below that, uh, we have those good old-fashioned red LEDs. I love them. Well, it's a simulation of red LEDs. The readout is uh, red in color on a black background, and it will give you the frequency that your rig is currently on. As I look over at the rig and the faceplate, I can see that it's on 14.069.99, and that's because I bumped the knob earlier. But that's okay, because when I look up here at the readout, it's showing me 14069.98. Yeah, that's right. The same. 
And what this also does for me is it takes the frequency and puts it up in the frequency field of the QSO information at the top of FL Digi. So up there, it's giving me a slightly different reading, but that's because I'm in PSK mode and the actual frequency I'm monitoring, because PSK moves up and down a small scale, is not exactly the same as the actual frequency the rig is on. Last but not least, we look over to the uh, right-hand side of this particular window, and there's a list, a list of frequencies with uh, a mode next to it. In a lot of cases, it's none when you first start out. Next to it is the actual digital protocol type that you're talking about, whether it's PSK63, RIDI, MT63, uh, what have you. And then over on the side, and it took me a while to figure this one out, guys, is the offset. Now, nowadays, you don't, most uh, digital protocols run where you slide up and down a small scale. So you have the actual frequency and then an offset off of that frequency where you operate. That's what this column over here shows. Uh, like I said, this is one of the ones that's on the list for us to try and do a video on, but we'll get back to it. So now you have rig control. One of the benefits of this is you can go up to the uh, frequency readout in the uh, rig controller window on FL Digi, and by putting your cursor over a number, whatever portion of the frequency is, using your mouse wheel, you can run the frequency up, run the frequency down using the mouse wheel on your uh, mouse. And as you do that, you can look over at the readout on your radio and see that it's changing as well. I said earlier that I tried this both directions. I ran it through my serial port number one because I have to have my serial port to key the transmitter. We talked a few episodes back about the fact that sometimes USB uh, adapters are a little flaky about keying the transmitter. So first I tried it on the serial port. Ran like a champ. No problem whatsoever. Then I moved it over to a USB adapter. Now, in the case of a USB adapter, you're going to have to go through the steps that we outlined in the episode where we talked about USB adapters. And in that case, you're going to have to figure out what you, where the USB adapter is showing up on your system. Now, in the case of Ubuntu, it's not a big deal because in the case of the machine that I'm running uh, FL Digi on at this time, I have a USB headset plugged in, I have the cat cable plugged in on a USB adapter, and until today I had a webcam hooked up on the USB side also. Once again, the USB adapters I have are questionable. They were questionable on XP. Even though they did, did work on Windows XP, they worked just fine, but they were a little on the questionable side. The one single problem I had was that when I first fired up on the USB adapter, the readout in the rig control screen would jump back and forth on frequency a little bit. This was not affecting the radio. The radio was staying rock solid on the frequency that I set it on. And there was a little jumping back and forth of the gauge at the top of the waterfall which initially made me a little nervous. But then I realized that it was simply something that was going on in the adapter itself. Now it's settled down. I'm sitting here talking to you now. It's not uh, jumping one bit. It's not changing frequency at all, not even a hair. And it's running rock solid. So as far as the USB adapters are concerned, if you get them set up right, then you're in good shape. Once again, if you decide to go that route, I would suggest that you go back to the show where we talked about USB adapters and uh, some of the ways to hook your rig up to run digital modes and uh, give that one a listen. Okay, Russ, I've been talking a while. Uh, you got anything to add? I wish I did so I could interject some of my mellifluous voice into this, but I really don't. You're, this one was kind of your baby. Like I said, I'm, I'm world famous for getting sidetracked. I get sidetracked all the time. I'll sit down and start to record a, record an episode of the other 
other podcast and before it's over with i'm doing something completely different you know uh we were doing a we were doing a, a series on batteries and chargers over there and the batteries got done but we'll get back to the chargers <laughs> okay so that's pretty much a light version of what we're doing as far as rig control one thing i will interject is that in the case of uh that other operating system uh anytime you download a program that offers rig control it's going to have the libraries included that allow you to do rig control in the case of linux operating system whether it's ubuntu <laughs> ubuntu fedora OpenSUSE, whatever it might be you install that one library and it's probably going to be good for all of them now in the case of fl digi like i said i went and looked at the newest version i'm having a little trouble with it i think it's not quite stable yet at least that's what I'm seeing in Linux ham, and uh, it kept crashing on me. But it does have pretty much a complete basic logbook in it now, which you'll be able to send those entries straight to the logbook with the rig information on top of it. CQR log, any logging program is going to log that for you. If they run a DX cluster, you're going to be able to go to those frequencies. Uh, the logbook software will allow DX cluster. It will take you to those frequencies. Uh, you can control your rig in the same fashion you do on other operating systems. Now, the last thing I want to say about this is I was running my head about HRD earlier. This particular program, FL Digi, I've been watching it, and it's well on its way to becoming the HRD of Linux. And, in fact, it runs on most of the operating systems. I won't say all of them, but it's definitely on its way. So there's a short little primer on this. I know that it's really hard for us to do in an audio format the kind of things we need to do to really get you all up to speed on this, and that's why I myself am looking at different avenues to try and get this information to y'all in a uh, better fashion. So that's about all I've got before we go to the break, because uh, I can't even think of what it was I was going to rant on this weekend, uh, this time around, because the only thing that comes to mind is Simon over at HRD, and he has done irritated me. Well, no, he's been continuously irritating me, but that's okay. Uh I was listening to Jerry on another podcast today, and he got to talking about Ham Radio Deluxe, and I got irritated, and I went over and got to looking around, and it irritates me that Simon, uh, the guy that writes HRD, takes quite a bit of open source software from the community and puts it into Ham Radio Deluxe, but he has refused over the years to uh, return anything back to the, the community, the uh, open source community, and he refuses to put out anything or put ham radio deluxe out for anything but windows however i have noticed today when i was over there that he has added a page where he talks about fl digi and uh for those of y'all who've been listening along fl digi is the one true contender on the open source side for the for the uh, ham radio deluxe throne because it's coming right on along and they're adding features and it's getting better all the time. And they're not afraid to write for, uh, for Mac and Windows. There's even a version for XP. So, holy mackerel, I did my rant anyway, didn't I? You got it out. You managed it. <laughs> I have it on, let's call it insider authority and I don't want to name any names or anything like that. There apparently is talk of development of a Linux version of Ham Radio Deluxe, one that takes nothing from the current version. It'll be a ground-up project that starts over and creates HRD natively. If that works out, and how's this for a teaser, an open-ended teaser, we will be able to interview one of the Linux HRD developers as soon as plans to start the project get finalized. I got that about a week ago, and I thought that was a really interesting piece of information. Hopefully, it will get people interested in and maybe looking for, you know, forward to seeing development for a Linux version of uh, HRD. 
Well, there Russ goes, treating me like a mushroom again. I had no idea that they were going to start working on HRD and try and get it out to the Linux community. Maybe I should not be so angry because of what's going on. But I, I, I tell you what, you know, HJK over at FL Digi, uh, since they're using his stuff anyway, uh, it seems like he ought to be involved in that. <laughs> Why don't we take a break? That sounds good. We will pause to take a little break here and have a little musical interlude, and we'll come back on the other side with a continuation of feedback from segment one. got on your plate over there russ well i've got one here that's a little interesting and i'm not sure what to make of it and hopefully you'll have a little insight into this one but it came from josh and there's no call sign associated with it and the reason for that i believe is because he's not a ham the email goes like this hey noticed you guys had a bit of activity so i mixed you back into my podcast playlist after going back over the whole show from show one i noticed you mentioned my email on air or whatever in the middle of a podcast I appreciate that and felt obligated to catch back up. I must say the show has progressed a lot and even posted on my website as you guys requested to help get the word out. So overall, great job. If I had one request, though, I'd like a show that went over ham radio basics. I'm a Linux enthusiast, so I understand Linux really well, but I have no idea what you're talking about when you spit out stuff like PSK31, D-Star, and so on. What basic hardware do I need to get started, and how does one go about getting a cool ham radio name e.g. K5TUX. All right. Uh, you might also mention standard manners for using ham radio on air, just in case someone like myself orders a bunch of gear and starts annoying everybody by spamming the channels without even realizing it or something. Let me just interject that buying a bunch of gear and getting on the air, not a good idea. <laughs> Richard, I'm sure we'll have more to rant about on that. Great show once again. Keep it up. And that's from Josh. So... You got the overall gist there. What do you think? Well, first thing I would want to say is Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, we actually gear that program or I, I gear that program towards uh, 
the newer ham radio operators, and I get catch a lot of crap from the guys that have been around for a while because uh, sometimes it's just a little too basic. Uh, people have told me, uh, you are a natural-born teacher. Well, you know, I worked a lot of years to get that going on, but that's okay. Also, you might try out the Practical Amateur Radio uh, podcast, which is run by KD0BIK. Jerry's been a guest here on the show, and he runs an operation over there that's kind of geared towards the new amateur radio operator also. As far as PSK31, Olivia, that kind of stuff, those are easily uh, found with Google search to give you more of an idea of what's going on with them. They're just digital modes, kind of like uh, chatting on the Internet more than anything else, just doing it over there. But most importantly, I'd like to say do not go out and buy a bunch of equipment. Start slow. <laughs> and as far as uh, etiquette is concerned, when you're first getting on the air, just be yourself. But there's a lot of places out there, if you're worried about it, you can kind of read up on it. You know, more than anything else, just listen to guys that you plan on talking to in the future, see how they operate, and then go ahead and uh, uh, ease on in there and ask them a question or two. PSK is going hot and heavy, and uh, it just dropped out on 20 meters, but it may still be going down on 40. What do you think? Couldn't tell you, because I haven't had a working antenna in a long time. Well, we're going to have to build you some wire and get it in there. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're cooking down on 40. Y'all run down there and grab you some of that. That's a, that's that good stuff. Now I've got the wire. I've got a nice dipole that I need to put up. The only problem is I've had a problem with my, my rig, which is a Kenwood TS 570 Delta for a while now. And I've been so busy with everything else, including putting out this podcast that I haven't had a chance to even look at it. So. One of these days I'll get around to getting back on the air. I still have my two meter sitting over here behind me, but uh, I haven't even turned that on in three months. And there y'all go. There's another good reason to go over to lhsinfo.org and drop a donation in the pot. Russ needs a new rig. I am hereby announcing the Russ needs a new rig fund. So y'all go ahead and uh, try and help Russ out. Every penny that ends up as a donation to Linux and the Ham Shack uh, will go straight back into the Linux and the Ham Shack fund and making these uh, these shows better and better. You know... I myself cannot understand how we even made it to 13 episodes. Luckily, Russ and I don't live within strangling distance. Otherwise, <laughs> we, it might not have happened. Well, with that, I guess we've done all the damage we can possibly do this very day. So y'all uh, hang out there. Y'all look uh, look for some videos to maybe start showing up. Uh, I've got it worked around where I can do some of them. And... Uh, We'll see how we can get that going. Not only check lhsinfo.org, but go on over to blacksparrowmedia.com because it might show up over there also. So, from the bunker here in Balt Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV. You can contact me at uh, KB5JBV at blacksparrowmedia.com or follow me at Twitter or some of the hundreds of other uh, social networks I'm on, uh, with username KB5JBV, but the one that I monitor most often is Twitter, so twitter.com KB5JBV. Or visit the Linux in the Ham Shack forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com, click on the forum link and go on in. You don't have to be a member to read them, uh, you just have to be a member to write in them, and that's just to keep the spammers out. Uh, your turn, Russ. All right, I'm Russ, K5TUX, up here in north-central Arkansas. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com, stroke J.R. Woodman, and J.R. Woodman will find me on just about every other social networking site on the Internet. My email address is k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. Take a look at the website at lhsinfo.org. Make sure to leave us feedback, whether it be by email, Twitter, Post your reviews on iTunes. I'd definitely love to see a few more of those out there. Post to the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. And uh, also give a listen to some of the other great podcasts out there. I wanted to mention that I was listening to Linux Basement the other day. And he did a great piece on a Linux uh, virtualization environment called OpenVZ. And I am going to check that out. He got me so excited about the thing that I am dying to go put it on a machine and get it running. 
a little plug there for it's Chad Wallenberg, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, there's breaking news. Chad has acknowledged that he doesn't actually have a basement. We're not real sure that Big Dave actually has a Honda Civic, but and we really don't know if Russ and Richard knows anything about Linux or ham radio, but we're going to give it a shot. Okay, so a little shout-out there to Chad Wallenberg at the Linux Basement at linuxbasement.com or linuxbasement.org. I'm sure one of them will get you there. That's all I had to say about that, but I think it's time to wrap it up. So from North Central Arkansas, once again, this is K5TUX, and over there is Richard, KB5JBV, from where? Well, this is KB5JBV in Balt Springs, Texas, where the sirens are. We'll see you next time. Night, everybody. <laughs>